O Lord, our governor, how excellent is thy name in all the world. Thou that has set thy glory above the heavens. So opens our psalm appointed for this morning that we chanted earlier in the service. Today is the Sunday following the great feast of the ascension of Jesus Christ into the heavens. It's also one of the greatest underrated, uncelebrated, and unknown feasts of the church year. Even traditionalists rarely celebrate it on Thursday uh, after Easter 5. In fact, in most Roman Catholic churches that I know of, the Feast of the Ascension is celebrated today. Well, there was not a, a whole lot of us, given the fact that no one even knows about it, that we're here on Thursday celebrating, but we celebrated, and then we celebrate again on the Sunday after the Ascension. The Ascension is the rising of Christ after his earthly ministry in full human body form into heaven. We'll talk more about that in a minute. So today is the Sunday following that great feast. And the church has, please note, since we're dealing with the psalm, the church has for two millennia, that's 2,000 years, students, read the Psalms with Christ at the forefront of her thoughts and imagination. So Jesus the Christ is the main interpretive lens of the Psalms for the church. We start then with the Psalm of the day, shouting out the power and the holiness, the effectiveness of the name of God. We pray in the Lord's Prayer every day, Hallowed be thy name. Or holy be thy name. So part of prayer every day, therefore, is to set God's name above all other names. It is holy. And we want to treat it as holy and have the whole world understand the holiness of God's name. Thus, the fourth commandment, do not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Treat it as holy, because it is holy. Related to God's name in the opening of the psalm this morning is the glory of God. Thou that hast set thy glory above the heavens. The heavens are the highest and most glorious thing that we can apprehend, including, uh, if you have a good telescope, uh, an interesting view of Saturn and of Jupiter, depending on the day and the season, You can see these amazing things with your naked eye. And up here, of course, with our little bit less atmosphere and very dark nights, you can see the whole swath of fuzzy glow of the Milky Way. So these are the highest and most glorious things that we humans can see from Earth. God is even more glorious and higher. The psalmist continues, When I consider thy heavens... Even the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained. What is man that thou art even mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him. Thou madest him lower than the angels to crown him with glory and worship. So firstly, we are reminded of our 
small stature, if you will, in these verses. We live on one planet of one solar system in one galaxy of an unbelievable cosmos out there. And on this planet, we are not the largest creature. And each of us is just one of many billions of humans. In one sense, and our lives are one little tiny length of time in the history of the world. As the old saying goes, we're barely a drop in the bucket when you consider all that. We are but specks of dust in the universe. Who are we to be even noticed by God who made everything? Yet remember, Jesus is the key to opening up the Psalms. Thou madest him lower than the angels to crown him with glory and worship. Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah of God, became a man. Lower than the angels in stature, so that he could be crowned with glory and worship. Jesus is the person of whom we speak in that psalm. Let's read verse 6. Thou makest him to have dominion of the works of thy hands, and thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. Again, Jesus, the Christ, has been made to be in power and in control over all the earth, the works of God's hands, and all things are put in subjection under his feet. In other words, Jesus... is over everything. Ascension Day, which we just celebrated on Thursday, is the coronation day of King Jesus. What good timing. We just saw a coronation recently, right? Christ the King Church in Grover Beach, from which many of us hail, actually. I became a postulant for holy orders at Christ the King. I became an Anglican, Anglican at that church. Sam and Goli just moved up from that church. That church, which I had the honor of caring for recently, is celebrating the patronal feast during Ascension Tide. So Thursday was their patronal feast day. Christ the King Church. Well, that's what we celebrated on Thursday. Jesus is the King. Our collect or our prayer for today starts by addressing God, the King of Glory who exalted his only son, Jesus Christ, with great triumph into his kingdom in heaven. Imagine the, the Roman emperor being crowned the emperor back in the, you know, in the ancient days. Do you think there was a party going on in Rome? Even if everyone hated him, they were partying because they didn't want to die. But generally speaking, there's a huge party. Uh, I don't know if you ever noticed the cost of the coronation of King Charles that just happened. Some people are quite disgusted by it, but it's like when we have an inauguration of a president. There is a lot of money spent on a party. And in the ancient Roman days, it was all about the triumph of the emperor, the power and, and the prestige of that person. 
And so we celebrate ascension with great triumph. This ascension that we speak of and we celebrate yearly is the coronation of the new king, brought into the throne room to sit at the right hand of God the Father and to rule. Rule what, we might ask? I mean, we as Americans understand at some level that King Charles of England is the monarch of Great Britain, but we don't, as Americans, really get it. My sister uh, was in Canada for a big English king monarch thing going on, and I forget what it was exactly, but she was like, whoa, Canada, what? She didn't even know. Queen Elizabeth is your queen too? As Americans, we don't ever learn any of this stuff. And sure, King Charles is now the king of England and Scotland, the United Kingdom, right? Those two together. And then Wales and Northern Ireland, we won't go there. And Canada and all the Commonwealth countries. And it's not a short list. In fact, the royal governor in Canada, oh, this is many moons ago, one of my parishioners came to a barbecue and said, hey, um, the Queen of England, through her royal governor, just disbanded parliament in Canada, which would be like the president saying, all right, Congress, I'm tired of you. Go home. You're over. And he was aghast being a good American. What? The, the Queen can do that? Yeah. And the system works a little differently, but this is, you know, we get it at some small level. But then we have to say, okay, so Charles is king of more than we remember. But what is Jesus the monarch of? The answer, the whole world and the universe. To quote a wonderful priest friend of mine from Alabama, let me tell you a story. Every conversation I hear that five times and I just smile. I love it. There was a bishop of Rome who saw some amazing looking, to him anyways, slaves in the marketplace in Rome. This was about 595 AD. He asked uh, his, you know, the guys around him, he said, hey, who are these slaves? They looked amazing. Big, long, blonde hair, blonde beards. And he was told they were from England. England at that time, though previously a Christian country, had been overrun by non-Christian barbarians, as the Romans would have called them. Gregory, the Bishop of Rome, wanted to reach the people living in that land, in, in Angle land. They were Angles and Saxons. They were Germanic tribes. So he wanted to reach them with the good news of the gospel of Jesus. He wanted to tell them about what Jesus had done. Of course, he was the Bishop of Rome, so they weren't probably going to let him go to England. He had too many responsibilities in Rome. So he sent a priest and a monk from a monastery, go figure, named, the monastery was named St. Andrews, actually. And the monastery was in Rome, and he knew this guy, and he said, look, I want you to go to Angleland, and I want you to tell them about Jesus. His name was Augustine. Not the really famous one from North Africa, but Augustine, we call him of Kent or Canterbury. So Augustine was accordingly prepared and prepared a traveling company, about 40 persons in all, some of whom were monks and clergy. And Augustine, Augustine was consecrated a bishop, which was the traditional way for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years to send missionaries to send them as a bishop. 
However, soon after leaving Rome to make their way to England on foot, from Rome to England, up through the Alps, across France, find some passage by water across or swim, you're not going to swim it, and land in England. So they're a little daunted by this. Fears prevailed and they halted and they hesitated and they wanted to return and abandon their mission. So they sent Augustine back to Rome and request permission to request permission to return and say, no, we're going to call this off. The Bishop of Rome, Gregory, said, no, no, too late, you're going. And he sent Augustine back with letters encouraging the missionaries to persevere and to keep on. So, considering the nature and the danger of that task in the late 6th century, one can imagine the fears and the doubts. I think most of us would have fears and trepidation and doubts about such a journey, let alone going to some barbarian king who they were mostly known for you know, rape, pillage, and murder. And that's what these barbarians were about. But they persevered, they made their way, and they took passage, and I forget the details of how they got that, and they landed in Kent, which was the southeastern part. It's still called Kent today, that region of Britain. It's the southeastern little bump heading out. Once there, they needed to share the good news of Jesus with a group of people that were known, as I said, for enjoying a game of chop the head off the person next to you. That's what these guys were good at. And they were pretty big and strong, and they carried these really big two-headed axes, and they knew how to use them. So I don't know. I'd be a little bit, uh, okay, let's be quiet and say, hey, how about the Dodgers? Now, interestingly, they did not set up a camp and a mission station on the landing spot where they landed. By the way, we were 14 miles away from that spot. And I was like, guys, you want to go see where Augustine of Kent landed? This is my students, right? And they're like, yeah, let's do it. I looked at the map and said, no, 14 miles. No, that's like almost an hour of travel by car. Believe it or not, when you're that far out in the sticks, it's single track roads. So you meet someone come off the road. Someone's got to back up to the pullout, which is like every half mile. Or you got to get off on the road, and, and that's called not a shoulder, but a verge. And quite often, it's like this, which is weird. Um, and I just said, we can't do it. There's no way we can make our next stop, because it's going to add two hours to our three by the time we get out and look at it. So they didn't set up a station there, a mission station. They went directly to the king of Kent, because he was the guy in charge. Their communication to the king, the gospel, the good news, included this idea that though he may be the king of Kent, and indeed at that moment, he was the Bretwalda of England. That means the high king. Of all the kings, he was like the most high. Basically, he was the king of kings of England. Yet Augustine had to go there and tell him, there's actually a king of kings above you. And his name is Jesus the Christ. This king you will have to bow to and submit to for the sake of yourself 
and of your kingdom. Jesus, the Son of God, very God of very God, of the essence of the Father, had a reason for coming to the creation that he made. This reason included becoming the king of the whole world and indeed of the whole universe. But the reason for all of that was that man had a problem with God and it needed solving. And man doesn't have what it takes to solve that problem. Man was separated from God because of man choosing himself over God. Now think about your friends. Think about your spouse. Maybe you're a lot holier than I am, but there are way too many times that I choose myself over my spouse. Way too many times that I choose myself over my children, over my friends. Over... This is just the way of being human. God is far above your spouse, your friends, anyone. And we choose ourselves over God all the time. Jesus came into his own creation so that he, as a man, could relate to us, men and women, and bring him into union with God, to bring each of us into union with God. And Jesus could accomplish that because he was man and also God himself. Thus, we have access to God the Father through his only Son, Jesus the Messiah. Thus, this morning, we worship God and give him thanksgiving and praise and glorify his name in and through Jesus the Christ, whose death and atonement for us on the cross allowed him to beat back death for us. His, res his resurrection, of course, vindicated him, proved that he was who he said he was, the Messiah sent by God. His ascension is the final act of his ministry on earth, where he ascends in the Shekinah glory cloud, hailstones, coals of fire, lightnings, and thundering, he ascends into heaven to rule, to sit as the king of the universe until the whole earth is brought under his dominion. We have a king. He is patient and he will wait out the stubborn-hearted, but he will not be overcome. The victory is Christ's and his church will overwhelm the gates of death with Christ as their king. O Lord, our governor, how excellent is thy name in all the world. Amen.